And that's why a lot of people end up in hell. Because Jesus will only come into our lives if he comes as both Savior and Lord. Examine your hearts today. Is he your Lord? Have you bowed to him, repented of your sin, and received him into your life? Open your Bible, please, to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 2. I want to talk this morning with you about this sign. The uh, shepherds were given a sign. Now, signs are to point things out. That's why we need signs. Signs that say uh, one way. Signs that say do not enter. Signs that say don't sit here. Signs that say um, uh, this way, please. Uh, signs that tell us which washroom is for men and which washroom is for women. These are all good and important signs. And our life is kind of based on signs. When you're driving, especially in a, a new a new city, it's not, it's not too familiar to you. You're looking for a certain sign, even if you've got a little GPS on your phone. Sometimes you can be sort of nervous because you're trying to keep up with traffic and you're looking for your exit. Is this it? Is this it? Is this the number 47 exit? That's the sign you're looking for. Has it ever happened to you where you've missed a sign and you've shot past your exit? Anyone at all? Yeah, oh, that's a good number. I don't feel so bad. It's happened to me. I have an uncle who visited New York City for the first time. And this is 40, I don't know, maybe even 50 years ago. And so this is way before cell phones and GPS and things like that. And he just had a bit of a map. And he was trying to find his exit. He missed his exit. He said afterward he was terrified. He was terrified. I remember driving through Detroit a good number of years ago and, and keeping my eyeballs peeled for this particular exit. Again, this was long before cell phones. And I was just praying, Lord, help me not to miss this exit because I'd heard horror stories of people out-of-towners stopping to ask for directions and they're never heard from again. Yeah. And so, Lord, help me. And so I saw it and uh, was able to turn off. When my wife and I were dating, we used to play a funny game. At least I think we did. And um, we'd be drive I'd be driving and she'd be in the passenger seat. And we were going to go someplace. And I'm driving along and, and she would say, oh, that was our exit right there. And so, yeah, it, it caused some lively discussion. Uh, so, anyhow, not a game I'd like to play again. But um, signs are given to us in order to uh, get to places where we're going or to take advantage of opportunities as well. Um, a number of years ago, I'm thinking maybe 30 years ago, a man... He was a bit of a tinkerer and he would go around to the uh, Salvation Army thrift stores and things like that. And he'd buy old appliances and he'd look at them and try and figure out how to fix them or to make them better. Well, he came up with an idea for a grill and it was a real fancy dancy grill. It was really something. He got himself a partner and they were going to try and get a patent on it. And they finally got a patent on this thing. I think they got the patent in 1997, I think, but don't quote me on that. And so... 
they tried to market it and they had no success. So they figured what they needed was a big name to market this grill. So they went to a man that had a big name. This particular man was a world-famous boxer. And this guy, he was uh, retired from boxing. He had uh, a few million dollars, I guess, to his credit. And so he was known to be interested in new, new enterprises. And so they approached him, and he wasn't too interested. And they said, look, we'll leave it with you, and you, you try it and see what you think. He said, okay. So he took it, and he put it on the shelf and did nothing with it. After a few months, they called him up, and they asked him, did you try the grill? He said, no, no, I don't think I'm much interested. And right then, his wife in the background, heard the conversation and said, I tried it, and it's great. He said, what? And so he tried it, and he loved it. And so he said, yeah, I'll put my name on that. And that was an opportunity he almost missed. And because he jumped on that opportunity, he earned $200 million, far more than he ever made in boxing because of this grill. Does anyone know the name of the grill? George Foreman Grill, yeah. And he almost missed that opportunity. Hooray for his wife. Huh? Hooray for our wives. Amen. Men, amen. Yeah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Yeah, I'm sure thankful for my wife. Well, today we're going to look at this sign that was given to the, to the shepherds. Makes you wonder what would have happened if they if they'd said, mm, no. Too far to go to Bethlehem. See, we got our sheep here. We got to look after. What would have happened had they missed this opportunity? So let's look into it. And first, we'll have a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would please help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear and a receptive heart today. And we thank you for the story of Christmas. And some of us know it so well, we kind of take it for granted. And yet, there were some very important details on that wonderful night in which the angels came to the shepherds. And we just read about it. Our Father, help us today to get a hold of this and to catch a vision for it. And also the wonderful opportunity of God that whosoever will may come. Now there's a, an opportunity. If there be anyone here today in the auditorium or anyone watching online who's not yet repented of their sin and come to Jesus Christ and receive Christ as their Savior. Help them to see this opportunity. Help them to see what they're missing. Lord, we pray you'd be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's take a look here at chapter 2 and verse number 12. Here the um, angels who, who had come and said unto you, is born this day in the city of David a Savior. They said, and this shall be a sign unto you. Well, you might wonder, what do they need a sign for? Because they just had the testimony of angels. If an angel came to visit you, maybe in the night, and there was all this glowing light, and uh, they were just radiant with heaven's light, and they said to you, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm going to tell you something that is important for you to need to know. Would you need the angel to give you a sign to back that up? Some of us would say, well, no, I wouldn't need a sign. 
and yet we're dealing with shepherds who were Jewish. Um, as Jews, they were taught that the message from God came with a sign to verify it, that it was from God. That's what they were taught. And this, of course, was common in the Old Testament. In 1 Corinthians 1.22, it tells us the Jews require a sign. In Matthew chapter 12, the Jews came to Jesus and said these words in verse 38, we would see a sign from thee. And in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, it talks about the early apostles and it says God bearing them witness both with signs and wonders. And therefore, these Jewish shepherds, they were going to re require a sign that this message was truly from God. And so, what was the sign to be? You'd think it would be something just, you know, in the cosmos or some kind of... Look, even the wise men had a star, right? They, had the, they were following a star. Even the wise men had that. But that's not what these shepherds were given. They were given a sign, all right, but you'd think, hey, this is God himself being born here in a human form. And just in case there might be someone here today or watching online who hasn't yet realized this, Jesus of the New Testament is the Jehovah of the Old Testament. They are one and the same. This was God come down in human form. This wasn't some man upon whom some aspect of God came. No, this wasn't some angel, some creation from God who came down and was born. This was the creator himself, Emmanuel, God with us. That was one of his names, Emmanuel. It's a great name, don't you think? And so what was the, the sign Maybe if the angels had asked the, the shepherds, well, what kind of sign would you like? I mean, that's been done before in the Bible, you know that. What kind of sign would you like? Maybe the shepherds would have said, a chariot of fire. Huh? Or maybe they would have said, have the earth open up. Swallow all the sheep. Something like that. But they weren't given anywhere near that. Boy, that would be some wild sign, wouldn't it? But they were, they were given a sign of a babe in swaddling clothes. Now really, that's not a sign. But here's the sign. Lying in a manger. A babe who's all swaddled up and has been placed in a manger. Now these are two very common everyday items. It was very common back then for uh, moms and dads to take their newborns and to wrap them up in swaddling clothes. And we're going to look at that in a second. And it was very common to see a manger. This was like a, an ox stall or place where an ox might eat. They'd pour the, the grub inside this box. That was the manger. These are very two very common things um, in Israel. But when you put them together... That's what made it unusual. Now, swaddling clothes, if you look here in verse 12, this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. 
Swaddling clothes or strips of linen, perhaps, is another way of putting it. These were long, narrow strips of cloth, and they would use them to bind up the newborn baby to prevent um, the baby from hurting himself. They would tightly put together the arms and the legs. And you know, they still do this with babies today. Um, I'd like you to turn, keep your finger there in Luke, and turn to the Old Testament and go to the book of Ezekiel. So if you get to Psalms, you went too far. It's well before Psalms as you're turning to the left. Ezekiel chapter 16. And you'll see it right here. This was what they would do with little bambinos back in those days. Ezekiel chapter 16. Folks at home, you turn there too, would you? Ezekiel chapter 16. Okay, is everybody there? Yes? All right, Ezekiel chapter 16. Here's what they would do with babies. Verse number 4. As for thy nativity in the day thou wast born, thy navel was not cut. Now, all these things are kind of opposites. And so here was the cutting of the umbilical cord. Obviously, right? That's got to be done. So they would cut the cord. Neither was thou washed in water to supple thee. And of course the baby would be washed in water, clean water, take away all the goo, right? All of the, the stuff, clean up the baby. Number three, thou wast not salted at all. Now that may be a little strange for us. But they would use salt, a mild solution of salt, to help sterilize the, the baby. And they would rub salt around the baby. Not in its eyes or anything like that, but I think you understand. They would do this to sort of make things nice and clean and proper. And then, finally, nor swaddled at all. And here's the swaddling. So here's the four steps they would generally do. They would cut the cord. Of course, they'd wash the baby. They'd salt the baby. And then they would wrap the baby in swaddling clo cloths or, or cloth, strips of linen. So let's go back to Luke. So, okay, I think we got that one down. We understand that much. So Jesus then would have been a brand new baby. He was born that very night. That's what it means in verse 11. For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So it wasn't he was born a few days ago. He was just born. So they cut the cord. They washed him. They salted him. They wrapped him up with the swaddling clothes. Now, in verse 12, it says, This is the sign you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now, some of us don't realize this, but the word manger comes from a French word, manger. And what does that word mean? To eat. So that was the box. It was an eating box. And of course, the mule or the horse or the, you know, the, the ox, you know, would put its great big ugly face down in this thing and eat up all of the, 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 the stuff they pour in there, whatever it is they fed the ox back then. The ox would eat out of this. And of course, it would be all of the, the goober from the, the ox and it would be a bit of a mess. Now, no doubt that Mary would have had Joseph clean out that thing. But why in the world would they have put him in there in the first place? That's the thing. You don't, you don't do that. 
You don't put um, a baby in a washing machine. You don't put a baby in the dryer. You don't put a baby in a manger. You don't do that. You don't put the baby in the doghouse. Normally, you hold on to the baby, uh, or you have some special bassinet all made up, some special place for the baby to sleep. But in this case, that's, that's not it. No one would normally put a swaddled baby in a manger. So then, why did they do it? Why, did, why wasn't Mary holding that baby? Don't you think if it was a brand new baby, she'd be wanting to hold it as much as possible? Well, it's possible that it was a very difficult delivery. That's a possibility. We, we don't know. We're not told. But for some reason, she wasn't, the baby wasn't in Mary's arms when the shepherds came. Possibly Mary was very exhausted, very tired. She had just come this grueling journey, right? And then gives birth. Possibly she's just, you know, right out of it. And so um, maybe it was Joseph's idea. I got to do something for my wife. Oh, here's a box. I better clean it out first. Uh, let's get some straw put in there, make it nice and soft. And we'll, we'll, we'll put the baby in there. Somehow, God put it in their mind or in their heart to do this because an angel didn't tell them to do it. They just figured it out on their own. I think they figured it out because God put the thought in their head. And God does that sometimes. He puts thoughts in our heads. Sometimes with parents, you know, the parent can be working away and all of a sudden they have a thought, I wonder how Junior is doing. I better go and check on Junior. Any parent ever have a thought like that? Anyone? Yeah, a few of us. And for some unknown reason, out of the blue, you walk in just when you're needed. Junior's up on a, you know, a, a stool or something, reaching up and <gasps> you run in there and you save the day. Well, how'd that happen? I think the Lord put that in your head. And so... I'm guessing, it's only a guess, that God put that thought in either Mary or Joseph or both of them. I'm sure they were both fine with it. You know, tough times call for some tough measures. They weren't in a house. We know they weren't in a house because there was a manger there. You don't put a manger in a house. You put it out in a barn in some kind of stall or someplace. That's where you put a manger. You don't put that thing in a house. You don't want an ox coming into your house. And so they were in this kind of stable. There was no room for them in, in anywhere. I mean, the place was jam-packed because of the, the taxing, the census. Bethlehem was booked solid. There was no room anywhere. And they did have uh, houses that specialized as like an inn, if you will. It was only five miles from Jerusalem. And a lot of people on their way to Jerusalem, why pay the high, high rental in Jerusalem when only five miles away you could stay in Bethlehem? I mean, it made good business sense. So some people would have had larger houses with rooms that we would call the inn. And people would stay there for far less money. Have you noticed that things are getting expensive these days? Have you noticed that? I just learned something this morning. This has nothing to do with the sermon. But I needed to share this with you. When you go to the gas pump, the lowest you can get is E87. Well, I just learned something today. I never knew this. They make another grade of gasoline that's way cheaper. It's called E85. So it's 85 octane. But you need a special device to make your engine to, for it to accommodate. Otherwise, it won't really work very good in your engine. 
So you buy this device and you install it on your car and now you can pay way less money. Um, in parts of the states, you know, they sell it per gallon, you know, 350 a gallon, $4 a gallon. They're paying $2 a gallon less for the, uh, the E85. So, hey, if we can save a buck these days, I think that's important. By the way, folks, don't spend all your money at Christmas. Don't fall into that trap. Don't, don't buy expensive gifts for people you hardly know or even for people you do know. Be careful. Well, I'll just spend all next year paying it off. What if you lose your job? What if interest rates go up? What if something happens you can't work? Mm, no. Know your limit. I hate saying that. I hate saying that. But don't, don't overspend. Anyhow, I think in Bethlehem, some smart business men and women would have had larger houses and would have rented out their rooms, but there was not a room to be had. So they offered Mary and Joseph the barn out back, and that's where the manger was. And so she gives birth, and I'm only guessing that it was a bit of a rough one, but she was exhausted. She didn't have the strength to, to hold, at that point, anyhow, later she did, but maybe she didn't have the strength to hold in her arms the baby Jesus as much as she wanted to. And so it's only a guess that God put it into their head to, hey, here's this little manger. Uh, the ox isn't around. He doesn't seem to care if he is. So why don't we use this? Let's do it. And so they fixed it up. Well, anyhow, again, it's, it's only just, you know, we're thinking outside of the, of the manger here. <laughs> but um, Bethlehem, of all places, to uh, bring the Savior of the world to. Why not Jerusalem? As we mentioned, it was only five miles away, and it was a, a city known around the known world. Everyone knew about Jerusalem, and it was a real hub of activity, and all of the religious intelligentsia were there, and the wealthy and powerful people were there. Well, why not in Jerusalem? Well, I think there was a few reasons for that. God chose Bethlehem for a few reasons. I note in Genesis 35 that Rachel, um, one of the two wives of Jacob, we won't get into that, but Rachel died in Bethlehem giving birth to Benjamin. I find in the book of Ruth chapter 4 that Ruth married a guy named Boaz in Bethlehem. And they had children. Those children had children. And it ended up being King David was born in Bethlehem. King David, yes. That was the, uh, the house of David. That's what Bethlehem was known as. And so here it makes more sense that this is where God wanted the Savior of the world to be born. And Bethlehem was, uh, as I mentioned, it's a humble kind of a place. It was not a fancy Ritz hotel of a little town. It was, it was small, it was humble. And I think that fit because um, Bethlehem was a humble place. Mary and Joseph were humble people. They were not rich by any stretch at all. Often I think they would work for the food that they could eat that day. And then next day they'd have to do it again. But that was kind of common. Um, if you look in chapter 2 of Luke and verse 24... Here they came to the temple, which was only five miles away in Jerusalem. 
verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord. Now that's back in Leviticus chapter 12. It says a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so this was the offering of poor people when a baby was born, uh, particularly a male. By the law of Moses, they had to come to Jerusalem and they had to make this sacrifice here. Well, all right, Mary and Joseph, they're poor. They came to a poor place, a little town of Bethlehem. But why the shepherds? Why not the, uh, I don't know, the, the priests? I'll tell you what, five miles away in Jerusalem, there was at least one man and one woman who really loved the Lord. I mean, there was many who loved the Lord, but there was a guy named Simeon. You see him in verse 25, Simeon, and he was at Jerusalem, and he was a godly man. See, if Jesus had been born there, you see, Simeon would have showed up, I'm sure. There was also a lady by the name of Anna. She's in verse 36. There's Anna, a wonderful lady that loved the Lord with all her heart. These were both very godly people. They would have been so happy to have been there if the angels had to come to them. But the angels went to the shepherds. And so that's very interesting. You know, God uses humble people. Have you noticed that? I've been saved for going, going on in April, it'll be 47 years. And a few things you pick up along the way. A few things you learn. One thing that I've learned, both in scripture and in life, is that God doesn't use people filled with pride. And they may be very talent, talented, they may be very handsome or beautiful, they may be very rich, popular, but if they have a pride problem, God doesn't seem to use them. God uses humble people. The missionaries that we support, some hundred missionaries that we support, these are humble men and women. They're not big shots. They're not know-it-alls. Sometimes a know-it-all comes to the church, but they don't last. They're soon gone. God uses humble people, I'm happy to say, and the shepherds were, were humble. In fact, shepherds were considered sort of the low end of society because they'd get in there with the sheep and work with them all day long and they'd sleep with the sheep. They smelled like sheep. The shepherds often smelled like sheep. Now that shouldn't surprise us. Uh, farmers who work with, with pigs, for example, guess what they might smell like? You know, pig farmer is going to probably smell like a pig. A shepherd is going to smell like a sheep. And some people don't like that. When you're driving out in the country and there's farmland, often the farmer has manure spread on his fields in order to enrich the soil. But those are the days you want to roll up the windows and drive by there as quick as you can. Oh boy, oh. Well, I'll have you know that some people kind of like that smell. Believe it or not. Because it's a very down-to-earth, home kind of memory for them. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So these uh, shepherds here, they, and there was a lot of shepherds in the Bible. 
Let's not forget that some of the most famous people in the Bible were one shepherds. Abraham, he was a shepherd. Uh, Isaac, Jacob, they were shepherds. King David, he was a shepherd. In fact, he wrote the Psalm 23 and he said, The Lord is my what? Shepherd. Yeah, Psalm 23, written by a shepherd. There you go. In John chapter 10, the Lord Jesus referred to himself as a shepherd. A shepherd of the sheep. But something else interesting about the Lord Jesus is he's also referred to as a lamb of God. Isn't that interesting? He's both the shepherd of the sheep and he's also the lamb of God. And so if he is the lamb of God, then bring in the shepherds. Hence, the angels came to the shepherds. Isn't that interesting? Boy, there's a lot of little details here. But can you imagine if the shepherds never came? If after the angels went back to heaven, they looked at each other. Did you see that? Wow. And those angels praising God. We'll never forget that as long as we live. And don't forget, they told us about the Savior. Christ the Lord is born in the city of Bethlehem. And the sign, yes. Who wants to go? Not me, not me, not me, not me. I'm too busy. Can you imagine? Boy, the whole thing would have come crashing down. But these humble shepherds, these humble men of God, they says, no, we're going to go. You say, what do they do with their sheep? I don't know. No one knows. Maybe they had some sheepfold. Maybe they had some other little boy that was going to look after the sheep. I don't think they took their whole flock with them. I'm guessing they left that behind. But the thing is, they would have missed that opportunity. Here was the sign given to them. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a what? Did I hear that right? Lying in a manger? Now, today, if, if, we, if we said wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a doghouse, well, that would just be a what? But because we hear the Christmas story for years, we tend to let it just go right over our, our heads. Oh yeah, a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Oh yeah, so what's so strange about that? That was very strange. That was really weird. You don't find babies laying in a manger. And so this was the sign. If they had disregarded the sign, they would have missed the opportunity of a lifetime. Did you know that Jesus is still the opportunity of a lifetime? Did you know that? Oh, back in April the 6th, 1975, that's when I took that opportunity and I received the Lord Jesus as my personal Savior. Maybe you were raised in a church where the priest told you to open your mouth and he put a wafer on your tongue and he told you, receive the Lord Jesus. And so you just naturally thought you've received Jesus because you just came from Mass. You receive him every week or every day, depending on how often you'd go. But I'll have you know, God's holy word tells us how to receive Jesus. It has nothing to do with a little wafer on the tongue. If that's how someone received Jesus, then when Jesus was nailed to the cross, you remember the two thieves, one on either side? Why didn't Jesus reach out and say, here, open your mouth. Open your mouth. Let this melt on your tongue. Don't chew it. 
Some of you know what I'm talking about? Let it melt in your mouth. Why didn't Jesus give him a little wafer? No one, no one, no one in the New Testament ever received Jesus that way. You receive Jesus by faith, through prayer, by faith into your heart. You ask him to forgive your sins and come into your heart, right inside of you, to be your Savior and to be your Lord. Very important. He won't come in unless he's both Savior and Lord. Lord means he's the boss. A lot of people don't want that. They say, well, I'd like a fire escape from hell, but I don't want a Lord. No. And that's why a lot of people end up in hell. Because Jesus will only come into our lives if he comes as both Savior and Lord. Examine your hearts today. Is he your Lord? Have you bowed to him, repented of your sin, and received him into your life? For me, I did that April 6, 1975. When did you do that? Do you know when? If you're married and I asked you, are you married? You say yes. And if I asked you, when did you get married? Do you think you could give me an answer? Does that make sense or no? Married, two people married. You're married. Oh yeah, we love each other. We're old. Like turtle doves. That's my wife and I. Hey, great. When did you get married? I don't really know. You don't know when you got married? Call in your wife. When did you get married? Ask my husband. Oh, he doesn't know. Well, what kind of marriage is it where you don't even know when you got married? I think that when you receive God Almighty into your life, you're going to know it. And you either have Christ or you don't have Christ. So that's the question. Do you have Christ? You can fix that today. If you do not have Jesus Christ, you can fix that by admitting to Jesus that you are a sinner separated from God. Oh, but, but, but I've never murdered anyone. No, neither did Adam and Eve. And yet they sinned and got kicked out of the garden. Remember that? I've never murdered anyone, but I'll be honest with you, there's a few people I wish were dead. And you know that in your heart, that's like committing murder. Did you know that? It's just like committing murder. So maybe we have murdered a few. But we need to get serious with God and tell him, you're right, I'm wrong. I am the sinner that you died for. Jesus, if you don't save me, one day I'll die and I'll be in hell. And I don't want that. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. You see, that's the beauty of Christmas. These wonderful... Uh, shepherds here had this golden opportunity laid out on a silver platter before them to go to the uh, little hut there, the, the barn, and to see with their own eyes. Well, I have to finish up here. But I want to suggest something else to you. The greatest thing that the shepherds did that night was not to go see Jesus. Now that may surprise you. I mean, that was a great thing. Ah, boy, if I had been alive then, I would have gone. Pastor, you're not a shepherd. Well, I'm a spiritual shepherd. Hey, I would dress like a shepherd. I would dress like a sheep if I had to, if that's what it would take to get me in to see Jesus. But I wasn't born back then. But these shepherds were. But the greatest thing they did that night was not so much to go in and see the Savior, 
But it's what they did after. What did they do after they saw the Savior? What did they do? It tells us here in verse 17. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. Go right back to verse 11. Here's the saying. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. <laughs> they made known the message. They told everyone they could. They blazed abroad the message of Jesus. This was the greatest thing they did that night. Not tending the sheep. Not attending the Christmas musical by the, the angelic choir. Not even going in and, and meeting Mary and Joseph. <gasps> the babe. Christ. God Himself. That wasn't the greatest thing. It was after they went out and they told everyone. It is the job of every born again Christian to let others know there is a Savior. One day, if you have Christ in your heart, you're going to be in heaven. And one day, you're going to stand before Jesus and He will ask you, what did you do with the gospel message? You got saved. Now, did you have compassion on others and try and help them get saved? Folks, this is, this is a large reason why we support gospel preaching missionaries. Not all missionaries are gospel preaching. Some have the idea it's their job in life to go out and build outhouses. That's not gospel preaching. People can have the one, most wonderful outhouse experience and still die and go to hell. What they need is to be born again. What they need is the same Jesus in their heart that you have in your heart. That's why we need to support missions. I want to encourage you. If you filled out a card and turned it in, then we put it up on a back wall. There's no names on any of the cards, but if you look at them, you'll find your card. Your card is up there if you turned one in. And if you turned in a card, I want to encourage you for the next 12 months, make it your job, your goal, to fulfill that card that you put in. It's a promise between you and your Heavenly Father. So make sure you do your best to meet that promise. You do that and God will continue to bless you all throughout the year. Well, God still wants us to, to go out and let people know. And did you know that in a way, the church and preaching like this is a sign? Did you know that? The church, although we don't have a big steeple and a big cross out front, it'd be nice if we did, I suppose, but we don't have that. But there's a church in this neighborhood of Newton in Surrey, and we are a sign to our community that there is a God, a loving God. There is a Savior who died for us and wants to save us if we want Him. You remember old Noah, Noah and the ark? And the prophecy was, it's going to rain, there's going to be water from the sky. It had never rained before. Now we who live in this lower mainland, we know a little bit about rain, don't we? Those dear folks out in Abbotsford, they sure know a lot about rain, don't they? But it had never, ever once rained. All the moisture had come from the ground up. That was God's design back in Noah's day. So Noah started preaching and saying, it's going to 
water is going to fall from the sky, from heaven. It's going to come. It's going to fill up and everyone's going to drown. And they looked at each other and they looked at Noah and they said, what have you been smoking? Are you nuts? What planet are you from? It has never, since creation, it has never done what you're saying. Water doesn't come from the sky down. All of the scientists in Noah's day would have said, yeah, Noah, you're, you're mistaken. We have scientific proof. Water only comes from the ground up. It doesn't come from the sky down, Noah. You must have made a mistake. You've been out in the sun too long or something. Change your ways, Noah. And Noah was very adamant and says, oh, I'm telling you the truth. And God told me to build an ark. That's a great big long boat, right? And he was building it kind of in the desert. People were saying, what is he, nuts? He's building this big ship where there's no water. So they really thought he was nuts. But that ark, every day, it was getting more and more finished. And that ark was a sign unto the people to repent. And for 120 years, no one repented. And so the day finally came. God brought the animals in. Noah had it all supplied and stocked. Noah, his wife, that's two. Noah's three sons, up to five. And the three sons were all married. So that's eight. Eight souls, eight people went into the ark. And God closed the door. And then it started to rain. And now I could be wrong, folks, but I kind of think that someone amongst all that huge crowd to which Noah preached, someone thought, I wonder, maybe there's something to this. I mean, we've, this is new. Our scientists missed this one, but this is what Noah was telling us about. Well, we better get on that boat. But guess what? It was too late. It was too late. There will be people who will realize too late that Jesus is the way to heaven. They'd been trusting in their good works. Telling everyone, well, I've never murdered anyone. I'm as good as the next person. I'm an upright person. I'm a pretty good father, pretty good mother, pretty good employee. I'm a good neighbor. I pat the dog. I pay my taxes. I keep my grass cut. What more? What more would God want? And it's not by works of righteousness which we have done. But it's by His mercy that He saved us. That's the only way. is through the grace of Jesus to get to heaven. If you're here today and you have not yet understood this, I hope you understand it now. If you bypass Jesus, you have missed your opportunity. Folks watching at home, same truth applies. I think we should bow our heads for prayer. What do you think? Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.